software engineers have interacted with operations teams for decades. In the 1990s, most operations teams worked with physical infrastructure. They made sure that servers were provisioned correctly and installed with the proper software. When software engineers shipped bad code that took down an entire company, the operations teams had to help recover the software systems, and this often meant dealing with the physical servers. During the 1990s and early 2000s, these operations engineers were often called sysadmins, database admins if they worked on databases, or infrastructure engineers. The nomenclature has changed over time. Over the last decade, virtualization has led to many more logical servers across a company's infrastructure. Cloud computing has made that infrastructure remote and programmable. The progression of infrastructure led to a change in how operations engineers do their work. Since infrastructure can be interacted with through code, operations engineers are now writing a lot more code. The DevOps movement can be seen through this lens. Operations teams were now writing software, and this meant that software engineers could now work on operations. So both software engineers and operators could create deployment pipelines, monitor application health, and improve the system scalability, all through written code. That's the infrastructure as code movement having its effect. Site reliability engineering, or SRE, is a newer point along the evolutionary timeline of operations. Web applications can be unstable sometimes, and SRE is focused on making a site work more reliably. This is especially important for a company that makes business applications which other companies rely on. Mike Hiraga is the head of site reliability engineering at Atlassian. Atlassian makes several products that many businesses rely on such as Jira, Confluence, HipChat, and Bitbucket. Since the infrastructure is at a massive scale, Mike has a broad set of experiences from his work managing SRE at Atlassian and doing systems administration and infrastructure engineering at many different roles prior to Atlassian. One particularly interesting topic is Atlassian's migration to the cloud. Atlassian was started in 2002, before the cloud was widely used. In fact, before AWS had even been invented. And Atlassian has made a more recent push to move their applications into the cloud, which has all kinds of ramifications for the site reliability engineering team. Full disclosure, Atlassian is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily, and they are hiring, so if you're looking for a job... Check out Atlassian Jobs or send me an email directly. I'd be happy to introduce you to the team at Atlassian. Mike Haraga is the head of SRE at Atlassian. Mike, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here. SRE means Site Reliability Engineering. That's a term we've done a few shows on in the past. And it's something that evolved out of systems administration and DevOps, that lineage, the operations side of things. You've been working as an infrastructure engineer since that role was called sysadmin, which was several years ago. 
How would you describe the evolution of the industry role from sysadmin to the more modern term site reliability engineering? Right. So, well, this goes back quite a ways. My first experience dealing with a sysadmin was back in my university days when we're just doing stuff in the computer labs. Uh, we had sysadmins in there. And I recall when I first met these uh, folks thinking how awesome they were because just the amount of breadth of knowledge that they had dealing with hardware, dealing with networking, they could write code, they could do all kinds of things. And just looking at some of the things that they dealt with on a day-to-day basis was quite intimidating to me at that time. Um, walking into one of their labs and seeing one of these giant sun machines, which was the size of a refrigerator, made lots of noise, consumed lots of power, lots of air conditioning. It was just a very overwhelming experience for me. So I always had a great picture of sysadmins in my mind. And as I went off and became an infrastructure engineer, which was basically you know, kind of the next interpretation of sysadmins, I started appreciating the job uh, quite a lot more. At that time, uh, the job was very operational in the sense that we dealt a lot with hardware, operating systems, and how do we make those operating systems accessible to people that need to put things on there and run businesses on top of them. And sometimes we would deal with uh, services, but that wasn't necessarily the focus. Now, as things evolved in the industry, internet services started to proliferate, mobile devices, everything started just expanding at a phenomenal rate, which started putting a lot more uh, you know, pressures on the system's ability to scale. And uh, as a result of that, SRE type role started to evolve, uh, and most notably with uh, the Google SRE, which you know, obviously SRE's birthplace was uh, over at Google. And to this day, you know, SREs are still loosely defined as engineers that uh, employ development and software engineering to, to, to uh, solve operational problems. And a lot of this, yeah, I see that as being born directly out of having, you know, this next generation of problems of scale and and focused on services. Yeah. So in terms of services, I think you mean the tooling. So today we have cloud services, and that's a dramatic shift from the technology stack at an average tech company 15 years ago when, when you started working in technology. So what are the changes in the operations practices and the cultural changes that have contributed to this more recent evolution in SRE? So as you mentioned, you know, cloud services and cloud platforms uh, is definitely one of the big drivers. And a lot of this was also, you know, going back to my comments about scale, the industry was, it began quickly moving towards um, having very large systems running in on-premises, which might not be your own or uh, things that you don't necessarily need to have direct control over. Uh, so because of this, you could the, the need was there for features to iterate very, very quickly in the customer-facing services space because of your co- market competition and other driving factors like that. So the pace of development needed to basically accelerate. And in using kind of an old operations, you know, sysadmin way of doing things, a lot of that didn't exist. Uh, so a lot of these practices of scale and quickly being able to facilitate development velocity you know, was born. And because of that, uh, one of the cultural shifts was how do we basically take all this infrastructure you know, um, that we might run on premises or might be in the cloud and basically shorten the amount of time it takes uh, in order to get, that, to get those resources available for features and development purposes? So a lot of that was basically the, how do we keep up with the pace of development in order to facilitate, like provide uh, your business with a very quick uh, turnaround on time to market. Yeah. Now in SRE, there's more an emphasis on writing code compared to the sysadmin roles and the perhaps even the, the other operations roles, the infrastructure engineering roles in the past. Is that 
emphasis on writing code is that more because of this shift because uh, shift toward the cloud and the infrastructure as code because you can codify your infrastructure yes that is correct so basically when you're dealing with many 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 different systems which could be distributed across many locations around the world having automation and tooling and writing software to manage all that is the only way a team can basically survive SREs don't typically scale linearly with an organization. So SREs rely ultimately as being, uh, you know, as what's been mentioned before, force multipliers, uh, by relying on tooling and software in order to make their cap- expand their capabilities and make themselves be able to do more and be responsible for more. And what's the interaction between software engineers and SREs? SREs and software engineers should be very, very tight, especially in the environments where I've worked at. Uh, software engineers and SREs of uh, effectively function as as team members. Just basically the SREs uh, obviously have a slightly different, you know, fo- have a different focus on the stack, but uh, for all intents and purposes, they, re- they regard themselves as being, you know, peers and team members. So the interactions are very tight. Hmm. Now you're the head of SRE at Atlassian. What are your responsibilities as the head of SRE? Right. So I oversee the overall direction and priority of the SRE organization. So I take what the company priorities are, do a little bit of tea, uh, readings of tea leaves in mean, a lot of meetings and discussions, and I facilitate the contribution of the SRE organization towards those goals. I know that's probably uh, kind of very vague, but basically, yeah, I look out for what the company is doing, what the needs are. I look at what our capabilities are in SRE, and I work towards providing our support towards meeting those goals. And a lot of that is basically in delivery and, and service reliability. Are the SRE practices, so Atlassian has a bunch of different products, are the SRE practices standardized across those different teams and across those different products? Yes, they are. Um, What we have so far, we have things like operational readiness uh, practices, incident management, and things of that nature. Uh, We are are also keen on expanding uh, that portfolio into other areas that maximize the, the being able to scale. We have, in addition to tooling and automation, you know, our practices also enables Atlassian engineering teams themselves to be a little bit of SREs in their own right. In that matter, you know, it makes ourselves as a team much more scalable and increases our reach by that much more. So you have standardized practices. Do you also have standardized tooling, like standardized logging and monitoring and the pipelines for those logging and monitoring systems? Uh, Yes, we do. We have a team that's a part of SRE, which basically develops and maintains all of our monitoring and logging systems. Is there like a platform engineering team? This is not a platform engineering team. This is actually a part of SRE, although all their tooling does integrate with the existing Atlassian platform team. So if I'm somebody in a team at Atlassian and I want to spin up logging and monitoring for my service, what kind of interface do you want to give that team or that engineer? So typically what we want them to do is use the Atlassian platform. We do have a platform as a service uh, organization which SRE uh, partners closely with, uh, when you use their tooling and when you provision resources, uh, tools, a lot of that instrumentation um, happens through, through that process. Um, so that is the fastest and easiest path, least resistant path to it. If you're outside the platform, I mean, some services uh, still are, then yes, there is more of like a more, more elaborate set of instructions in order to, and guidelines in order to, to, to use these resources. But our best recommendation is just use our platform and a lot of your pain goes away. What do you think of the pros and cons to having that central team that provides the tooling that gets standardized across the different teams, that versus allowing the teams themselves to 
go rogue and spin up their own logging and monitoring? Right. So going rogue and when you have lots of different teams, you know, basically duplicating effort, that adds up quite to quite a bit. You know, for example, if we take, you know, the thousand or so engine, you know, developers here, let's just say we have 50 teams. And if each one of those teams, you know, spends, you know, one person's worth of time working on that, then immediately you have, you know, 50 people, which are now working towards very, exactly the same thing. So obviously the duplication adds up very, very quickly. And also a lot of our products, you know, it's important that we do a lot of, you know, analytics and studies across our different products. And if we all have monitoring and logging and all of these different telemetry systems independently uh, managed, it becomes that much more difficult to merge uh, the data and do a lot of useful things with it. So consolidating into a central team solves a lot of those problems. Uh, but also the problem with that is that it is a central team, uh, which means that there will be uh, concerns with resourcing constraints of a central team. And a central team might not be able to address every last one of a team's uh, requirements. So we have to focus on what delivers the most value to the organization. Hmm. Probably most of the people listening work at a company where there is not a centralized team that's well-organized and giving them a logging and monitoring platform. Can you talk at all about, I guess, suggestions or, you know, it's 2018. What are the contemporary strategies that you recommend around logging and monitoring? I would very generically say, if you are in a lot of different splinter teams doing you know the same thing, then I would say talk to people and try to write a business case uh, around justifying a centralized team forming around it. I think that if you pay a little bit of the cost upfront, it's very, very easy to show the long-term value and, and ROI on such an endeavor. So SRE teams, they set service level agreements for their teams to communicate the reliability of those services. We've talked about that on previous episodes. What do you do if a team fails to meet its SLA? They've got failures all the time. Do you punish them or do you adjust the SLA number? What's what's the response to that situation? Well, the SLAs should always be aligned with what business objectives are. So I don't think changing them uh, is necessarily uh, the best thing to do unless they were miscalculated and set too aggressively to begin with. Uh, for example, if you, without any, don't put too much thought in this and say, hey, I'm going to set my service level objectives for this, you know, endpoint, which only gets 10 users per day uh, to be five nines. Well, the effort in order to, to do that is going to be astronomical. And uh, your ability to actually uh, to hit that might actually be very, <laughs> very uh, implausible. So there would be cases where, yes, you, you do look at your SLAs and understand, well, is this, was this correctly set? But assuming it was, you should never regress on your SLAs. Uh, in fact, but you should actually look at what's causing your, your business to miss SLAs and work on basically doing the five whys and taking apart the problem and improving it, right? Uh, if this means that like you take corrective action, and I don't believe in you know, necessarily saying that like any should be punishment, but more education and understanding I mean, how this and how the situation came up and we're just working towards attacking the, the actual root cause of the issue and not the proximal causes. SRE is all about automation and there's always a manual process that an engineer could spend a day automating. You can come into work and you've got a big list of things that you could potentially automate. How do you choose? How do you prioritize which processes to automate? The engineer and teams have to understand at all times exactly what they're working on, how it contributes to the to the goals of the organization itself. If you have a very good mind of what your metrics are, 
and what needles you are moving, then the prioritization uh, becomes a little bit easier after that. So for example, if, if we set a goal for hitting some number of availability, then you need to look at everything that you're doing, all the tooling and automation, and think to yourself, okay, well, what gets me, what will move that needle the farthest? And I will spend more of my time on that than other things at a very basic level. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's probably hard to generalize there. Incident response is obviously a core component of SRE. Can you tell me about an interesting incident that you've been a part of at Atlassian? Interesting incident at Atlassian. Uh, well, I think that the most interesting ones are, unfortunately, the ones that are somewhat out of, out of our hands. When we look at some failures of some of our providers, and these things happen, it's, it's unfortunate, and watching how all the different teams in Atlassian uh, coordinate and communicate with each other, those have been extremely the most fascinating for me. Uh, now, as a company, which builds software to help you know, empower and unleash the potential in all teams, you know, being a part of, uh, you know, a major incident, which I see a lot of different teams involved in the incident, trying to fix things, trying to bring things up, trying to understand what the signals, what's going on, communicating and collaborating on a common goal towards restoring service, mitigating impact, communications. And then on top of that, using our own tools that we built here at Atlassian in order to, in order to facilitate all that communication, those are extremely you know, fascinating to me because there's a lot of improvements that we could glean from you know, it within our own process internally, how we function as teams, and how do we make ourselves more efficient. When an incident occurs, how does it bubble up through the organization? So, you know, Atlassian is a big company. As the head of SRE, do you hear about most of the incidents or do you just hear about a minority? I hear about all of them. We are very transparent when incidents happen. And we have major incident managers who come in and take over communications and, and basically manage the distribution of information. So I think that uh, it's easy to say that not just me as a head of S3, I think everybody at the company hears about these incidents and knows you know, all the details about what happens. Now, the way that an organization implements SRE is has a measure of subjectivity to it and it depends on on the tenants of the company so like when i was at amazon i I worked at amazon briefly and the the core tenants of the culture affected everything including operations and on call and all the other things that we would associate with sre how do the values of atlassian affect sre the values of atlassian almost line up perfectly with what i believe you know the charter of an sre or organization should be we have some very interesting values, very, uh, I think, unique values. The ones I feel that are the most relevant to uh, what we do is don't F the customer. And that is basically... <laughs> that's one of your values? I not say that word, but <laughs> don't F the customer. And, you know, really, that's what SRE is really uh, about here at Lassian is, is we, we want to make sure our team is here to help maintain trust in the reliability of our services uh, that, that we provide for our customers. And what we do, everything that we do, in some way, shape, or form, lines up to maintain that trust so that we don't F our customers. Also, if we think about our other value of play as a team, uh, well, that's, again, what SRE does. We work very closely with our platform teams, with our, with our product development teams, with finance, with all kinds of different teams here. And we are not going to be successful as an organization and as a team and as a company unless we play as a team. And even as SREs, we are an engineering team. But we are also a team that works through consulting, advice, and basically influence. Um, and a lot of that is built on trust, and we can't maintain that trust unless we play as a team. Also, the, another one is um, open company. Open company, no BS. And I think this goes back to our transparency uh, and how we deal with incidents and how we manage uh, just our infrastructure and how we manage engineering here. 
but especially with insight reliability and engineering transparency is basically a must. We need to be upfront about our mistakes. We need to learn from our mistakes. We can't blame each other about uh, anything that happens. And we just need to have, you know, uh, a very open mind uh, to how we solve these problems and uh, make sure we come up with the best and most innovative uh, ways of doing things. And tactically, you know, you've done infrastructure and operations for a pretty long time. Is there anything, any unique practices that have come up at Atlassian that differ from other SRE or operations teams you've had in the past? I would say that with the way in which we manage incidents, I think is something that we're definitely, you know, proud of. Uh, we have, uh, we, we do actually go to a lot of conferences and we talk about our incident values and how we deal with problems. And we have our own Atlassian incident value set of detect, respond, recover, learn, and improve. As simple as these might sound, uh, they're actually very prolific in how we deal with things and how we learn from from our instance and how we manage communications. So I think that you know if you know anybody has a chance to to, to look in this more, yeah, they're very fascinating and that's something that I think is very uh, that we're very proud of. Uh, I can't say it's necessarily unique to what we you know, to, to how we do things, but they definitely line up with our company values as well. Um, so I think going back to the company values aspect of it. Those company values actually just drive quite a lot of what we do as a, as a team culturally, how we prioritize things, and what our opinion is on many areas. Well, it's probably useful for any company to codify their incident response values and plans. You know, I think that piece of advice in and of itself would be useful. I want to get into talking about the cloud because you're in the process of migrating to the cloud, and I think... SRE in the context of moving an organization into the cloud is a worthwhile discussion. So, you know, the products in Atlassian were started at different times in Atlassian's life cycle. The company is, what, like a decade old or, or almost a decade old, something like that? The company was, is definitely more than a decade old. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So let's say 11 or 12 or 15 years old. I'm not sure. But the products in the company were started at different times in Atlassian's life cycle. And so the products are, I assume, are backed by different kinds of infrastructure. So to, to set the stage for the discussion of the cloud migration, how does the infrastructure vary across the different teams, across the organization? Right. So a little bit of you know history. Obviously, Atlassian's you know core products were you know Jira and Confluence, and then later uh, we picked up other products such as DaskPage, Trello, and Bipocket. And yeah, a lot of these uh, you know did, did develop in different times with by, by different engineering teams, and often in different parts of the world. So their tech stacks uh, and how they manage things and how they develop things you know varied quite a bit. But we have been working towards migrating everything into the cloud. Uh, into our cloud platform for a while now. I would say right now at, at this point, most of our infrastructure is now out of like, you know, uh, Atlassian operated, you know, data centers. Um, I think that we're for the most part uh, in the cloud at this point. There is a lot of variance in the technologies that we use, but our platform, our Atlassian uh, PaaS, the usage of it is is growing quite a bit, and the value of it has been it has so far been very very clear uh, in terms of making the development experience easier. And actually, even improving reliability on, on all the services that uh, that have adopted it. So this is a purely internal PaaS that you designed for developers at Atlassian. Uh, yes, the internal PaaS is basically yes internally designed uh, by the PaaS platform teams, and they're basically aimed at building shared components uh, to take the pain away from common development you know tasks. Yeah, their goal is to make sure that the product team, the product development teams have more time to focus on their unique product challenges uh, rather than have to think about how do they, you know, release code, how do they, you know, provision resources, how do they hook into logging and monitoring and th- things like that. 
Interesting. Are you moving onto a cloud provider or you're moving on, you're just in the process of moving to your own internal PaaS? Well, we have our own internal PaaS, which is basically an abstraction into, uh, which is basically a layer between uh, ourselves and uh, AWS. And this basically makes it like, yeah, we could put a lot of things like, you know, processes and releases and things like that in between. And again, with the goal of basically taking the pain away uh, from these common tasks. I see. So is the goal to eventually be have access to the cloud for like seamless burst capacity or, you know, access to the AWS services? Like, you know, if you wanted to use Kinesis or something like that, or like what's the motivation for having access to the cloud? Well, the, the services that are, that are provided uh, keeps us from having to build, you know, our own things, right? A lot of those problems are solved. They provide a very rich set of services that, that we could use and enables us to, you know, improve our capabilities and improve, our, improve what we do with our products. You know, in my experience, you know, going back as far back as almost two decades ago, running physical infrastructure is difficult. It's difficult. And as you grow and scale, sometimes, you know, you, you get to a point where sometimes you need the capacity, sometimes you don't. And having that ability to have it available when you need it and uh, scale back when you don't need it. And being able to do so very, very quickly uh, and not have to worry about uh, any of the other common uh, infrastructure operations tasks that go along with it is extremely beneficial. It really helps you focus on what you need to talk, what your business needs to focus on. Is there still some significant migrations to go internally? Yes, there is. I, I would say that we're not over the hump by any means yet, although our progress has been extremely good so far. Cool. Can you talk about more specifically what phase of that migration you're working on? What phase of the migration? Well, we have... Some of our major products already migrated to our cloud platform. I think right now what we're doing is working through how we get the rest on there and how we do so. And as an S3 organization, we're definitely very we're evangelists of this because, again, we see the benefits to reliability in doing so. We see how we see the benefits to, you know, to, to, to scaling. We see the benefits to you know, how quick things can happen uh, in terms of you know, getting features out, out to the market. And again, that allows SREs to also focus a lot more on the more uh, long-term improvements that we could be making. A lot of the tooling and automation we could do because a lot of the toil is now taken care of in tooling and through, through the platform. And for migrating different teams, is there like a planning process that you go through to decide what is going to be a roadmap for a specific team getting into the cloud? Yes, there is a very detailed planning process that goes through it. A lot of things are considered. You know, everything from just what is that product doing? Like, you know, in, in terms of what, what does their roadmap look like? How is the, the landscape of technology that, that that service, that that product relies on changing? What are its needs are from a capacity and customer perspective? And, you know, and, and how do we make all this line up with, you know, with what the platform and, and the cloud service providers like AWS can provide for us, right? So, yes, there's, there's a lot of detailed planning that, that goes into this. Mm. Can you describe the plan in more detail? Like if, because I'm sure there's people out there that are listening that are, you know, maybe they work at a bank or an insurance company and they are looking at a large scale migration. They're trying to scope out what their strategy should be. What would you, what advice would you give or around the planning process? So the advice that I would give, um, and this advice doesn't actually just come from uh, my experience here at Atlassian, but other places as well is, when you're looking at this, uh, make sure you understand exactly why you want to do this. I think there is a temptation for companies to want to embark on this without fully understanding the reasons why. Really think about what your pain points are and how does a moving to a, a, a cloud provider you know solve some solve these pain points? And are you willing to 
you know, kind of float the upfront effort uh, and costs in, in the near term in order to achieve what the long-term benefits are going to be? And do you have enough and can you maintain the, you know, the focus on this enough uh, to actually get yourself to that, to that end state? So that is the most basic thing I would advise any company to do is understand what you're trying to solve first. Understand it very, very well and make sure that, that you have a proper understanding about what your return is going to be on that, on that effort. Otherwise, you, you don't want to figure this out when you're you know, halfway through it and you realize, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is not going to work where we expect it to. So I would suggest first start off with the basics, understand what your problem set is, understand uh, what you're trying to solve. Now, is that to say that there are organizations that you would not advise moving to the cloud? Yeah, there definitely could be um, cases like that, right? For example, there could be companies which are at such an extraordinary large scale that they run out of the, the cost and benefit of uh, is no longer evenly balanced. Uh, there could be companies out there which have a business motivation in order to keep things internal to their own uh, to their own infrastructure. You know, for example, you, you have a lot of major players out there in the market, um, like you know Google, Amazon, and so on. And, and they're actually, you know, they're they work with each other, but at the same time, they're also they also compete with each other uh, in, in a lot of different product spaces, right? Uh, so I think there might be uh, in, in Microsoft, for example, all three of these companies compete with each other, and it might not make you know say sense to them from a business perspective for them to basically run on each other's infrastructure. And, pay for each other's R&D against each other, right? So uh, there, there, there could be situations like that out there. How does the SRE team play a role in, in a given migration? So if there's some product, so like, you know, maybe Jira, for example, if Jira was moving on to the cloud, what would be the role of the SRE team in supporting that migration? So in supporting that migration, the SREs would take on tasks such as building some of the tooling automation around like the migration of tenants and resources from one platform to the other, making sure that we properly test the foundations of the new platform to make sure that like, you know, requirements are met, um, things like wargaming where we do failure testing uh, and so on is done. Helping the development teams make sure the sta- that, you know, that they get through operational readiness standards, have, have proper incident management pra- you know, practices, and we have a proper engagement, roles and responsibilities, engagement strategy between um, different organizations. And just overall, just keeping an eye out for anything that, you know, that could break or could be improved. That failure testing is a growing trend. How do you do failure testing and why is failure testing important? We have a, well, first of all, it's important because uh, you don't know what's going to break until you start breaking things. Even though you think you have an idea about what your moving parts are, uh, you, you probably don't. You, a lot of times, the best way to fully understand how they actually depend on each other is to break, is to try to simulate as many different ways of breaking things uh, as possible. So, um, not only do you discover new, new, unique things about how your services um, run and how they depend on other things, uh, but you also get an understanding about how you, as a team and as an incident response organization, can function and, and how efficient you are. If you break things in a war game type of situation, you can measure how long does it take for me to triage something. How long does it take for for me to even like you know, open up communications with their teams, escalate things. How, how long does it take me to even uh, identify what the problem is? And, and, and then how do I identify how long it actually takes me to, you know, to fix things? And also through this, uh, you identify what some of the more common, you know, breaks and it could be, and you could work on fixing them proactively, or you could work on uh, building some tooling automation that works around it or auto fixes and uh, things like that. And you could refine your, your, and you could refine your detection through these mechanisms. So we have a wargaming like practice here uh, where we have our different four teams, development teams, SREs, uh, get together in a room and just go through uh, basically an exercise where we take something and we, and we break it and we see what we learn from it. 
Uh, a lot of this happens before we be, before we launch a service. Uh, some of these things happen on a more routine basis, but it is a very common, well-appreciated practice here. There is always a trade-off between migrating or updating infrastructure versus developing new features. Has that been an issue when you're trying to balance the migration with the new feature creation across the organization? Yes, that's always going to be a question. But I think the balance in terms of migrations is always going to, is always going to be on making sure that we could execute such things without effing the customer. You know, the whole point of us moving to well, one of the points of moving of us moving to our platform is the boost in uh, reliability as well. If we're not you know, keeping an eye on that during the migration process, then we're not then we're effing the customer, right? So, hmm. what about capacity planning? Does an individual team have to make planning for how much capacity their product is going to grow to in a given quarter, for example? Yeah, currently that's generally the state of things. Different teams kind of have a view on their own capacity and make decisions on how much resources they allocate based on that. Uh, I think longer term, that could change to be something to have more of a consistent model across different teams. Uh, but for now, yes, different teams uh, who understand their customer base and who understand their product space maintain their, uh, maintain their responsibility. Are there any particularly difficult parts of that migration? Like moving when you're moving a team to the cloud, like refactoring their networking stack or uh, migrating their database. Is what is particularly hard about the migration? A lot of it is in the services and how they deploy and how they build the services. That's one area. I think there's a whole lot of stuff that you know I could that, that we could. That's probably worth another. Uh, entire discussion on yeah but yeah i think a lot of the things that you have to yeah there's a lot of refactoring that's involved you know, off the top of my head the biggest one is basically how do you actually deploy it how do you build and deploy your services how do you containerize um, things like that are the first things that come to mind when uh, when we deal with uh we're moving into, into a new platform hmm. what are some some best practices there like if a team is trying to determine how to containerize their large product that covers a lot of surface area how do they determine this the the scope of different containers i would say that like if you're undergoing a process like this it's probably worth thinking about just how your service is architected in the first place if you're already on a you know, a very clean like you know uh, if you're already on microservices and things like that then, then the situation is much different if you have a larger more, more monolithic uh, service then you might not have so many options so then you know there's always going to be a question of whether uh, it's possible to do any uh, to, to tackle any low hanging fruit by decoupling some of your services from each other, but that again, really, that answer to that really de- depends very, you know, vastly on on what you're running and how you build things uh, to begin with. So that that pendulum can swing in either direction very, very easily. Are there any efforts to move to something like Kubernetes at at Atlassian right now? Yes, that is something that's very interesting to us. But I can't comment exactly um, since I'm not since that team is not in SRE and how that's uh, been um, addressed. But yes, Kubernetes is something that's very interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that factors into, because you have this homegrown PaaS, you know, maybe it'll be working Kubernetes into that PaaS or, well, again, I guess you can't, you you know, you're not the person to ask about it. Tell me about your day-to-day. Like you walk into the office on a given day, what does the head of SRE do? Well, you know, I go get some coffee first. (laughs) <laughs> um, no, really. The first thing I do is I take a look at uh, what some of the incidents have been uh, that that might you know, you know over the last day or whatever. Um, I look at some of the low priority ones. I mean, if there are anything that was higher priority, you know, obviously I take a look at those and I start following in on 
another part of my day is usually in a lot of planning meetings, thinking about what do we do given the data that we're that we're collecting about our incidents, about about all the different metrics we're getting from our services. How should we be planning um, our next our next quarter, our next year, and what are the needs of the organization looking you know evolving towards? You know, and also, how does improvements in reliability, incident reduction, um, TTR reduction, SLO attainment, and things like that factored into you know the overall organizational plan? So that's generally how I spend how I spend my day. Obviously, you know other meetings, uh, more tactical things uh, sprinkle in here, and other administrative things. But yeah, generally that's how it how it plays out. Do you have any advice for how to conduct a planning meeting for an SRE organization? Advice would be start with making sure you understand what, what your metrics are. Uh, what are your goals uh, for what you're trying to accomplish? And these should be obviously informed from what your organization, what your company goals are going to be. Uh, but start with that. Understand exactly what you're trying to change, what you're trying to influence, and what impact you're trying to deliver uh, through your organization for the next quarter, for the next year. And start with Start and, that, and that's your basic starting point. If you have that, uh, if you have that, and you have your, your your strategies outlined for for that, and you understand what your numbers are going, what your target numbers are, the rest of the planning, uh, in my opinion, is is a lot easier after that because you understand what your targets are, and then you could go off to all the different necessaries and, and talk about okay, well, what are the, the great things that we could do, or that we need to do, or are they being uh, driven from the product side, driven from the infrastructure side, and driven from the SRE side that could help uh, accomplish these goals. What advice do you have around managing SREs? Managing SREs? Well, I think SREs are a very interesting group because they spend a lot of their time you know, dealing with operations. They spend a lot of their time doing uh, engineering and software development. And maintaining a proper balance between that two um, is very, very important. Now, I think the problem with a lot of uh, traditional operations groups is the, the amount of toil that builds up within those teams and manual tasks and uh, just, and toil, just toil uh, builds up very, very quickly. And unless you actively work towards prioritizing things which reduces toil and eliminates toil, those the SREs are going to be, have you know are, are going to be are going to have a very difficult time. One of the things I would say is most important thing to say is make sure you have a proper balance in your team. That said, you know toil sometimes is unavoidable and you have to do it, and sometimes it's even uh, it's even fun. But longer term, it's something that you you want to always actively work towards reducing, controlling, and automating away. And what about new SREs? Like, what's your process of onboarding new SREs and setting them up for success? Uh, we do have like a lot of uh, kind of boot camp type of training sessions. Uh, we have them uh, paired and partnered with other SREs. And what we've started to do is having more rotations where we have SREs that work close. You know, if an SRE team works uh, closer to, like, say, the Confluence team or another team, uh, we'll have those SREs actually uh, embed with that development team so that they could do some development work, learn the code base and get more insights uh, into that service from that development team. Um, and then they'll bring those learnings back to the, to the SRE team um, and, they'll, and they'll start doing normal SRE work. And so, I, yeah, so again, I, I encourage rotations between, between different teams because that's a great way of learning, of distributing information. Um, and also, we, we, we also do is we uh, have SREs that rotate between SRE teams uh, periodically as well. And, and I think that's important because it brings the learnings and insights from one uh, from one product group into another. So the SREs could, in fact, could, could by, product, by then act as kind of like an information like communication bus across the company. And what about interviewing SREs? If you're recruiting SREs, what are the kinds of things that you want to ask them and, and vet them for? Again, it, it also depends on, on what your needs of your of the job role are going to be. Some companies need SREs who are who are more operational. Some um, need uh, SREs for a more uh, development focus. So, you know, again, it comes back to understanding your needs, but 
Uh, but in generally for our, our, our team, we look at uh, making sure that they have some operational experience um, and, are good, and have good uh, coding and development practices and experience. To circle back to that cloud migration a little bit uh, as we wrap up, what kinds of value do you see from derive, deriving from the the migration? Like once it's entirely completed, what will you be able to leverage and where will you be able to go once you're entirely migrated to the cloud? Um, well, I think a lot of our uh, problem scaling becomes a lot easier, you know, once we're in the cloud. Um, also, because we are effectively, you know, you know, back to my point about taking away some of the time and you know, time spent on things that are now commonly provided that frees up a lot more of the product team's time, uh, any product team's time for that matter, um, in, in just focusing on the problems of their space and, and making their features great. And the return on that, I think, is, you know, the, the potential return on that is pretty large. Also, you know, in, in doing this, you know, I think if you have uh, a lot of different teams solving the same problems independently, they're not going to have the same expertise in any one of those problems as, as a larger team that is just thinking about those problems, if that makes sense. So in that way, it's going to make uh, those common services and features more robust, more reliable. And I think, you know, they'll, that, and that team will be able to kind of look ahead of the curve uh, and see what different product teams might need, start building ahead, start, start getting ahead of, of technology trends uh, and so on. And that, again, is just going to have a, a cascading acceleration effect uh, across uh, across all the different teams that use the platform. Right. So you, you would get economies of scale if you have all the people on the shared infrastructure and you just have this infrastructure team that's building out the, the cloud services platform that everybody can take advantage of that. Yes. Again, you get a, a team of experts who are building a platform rather than everybody fending for themselves and trying to figure out these same problems on their own, right? So, yeah. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been really great talking to you. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having me. Wow.